In two weeks, we'll be kicking off our, uh, our next sermon series. So right now, we're going to do a little two-shotter this Sunday and the next Sunday um, with a little series I'm calling Unhurried. If you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Psalm 131. I'm actually going to put it up here, so if you're more of just a visual follow-along listener, um, that will be there. But if you're a book person and you need to hold something in your hand, that's awesome too. I will be on page 519 of Psalm 131, and so we'll get there if you want to grab and follow along just like that. One of our most ancient stories tells about how God allowed his people to be in Egypt for 400 years as slaves. And then he brought them out of Egypt. And he brought them to this place that he had promised them, a land that was beautiful and flowing with milk and honey. And he brings them to this this river uh, that blocks their path. There's a joke there probably. But this river that blocks their path. And and because they see the fear on the other side, because they see so many monumental problems, they're terrified and they begin to doubt. And so God sends them away into a period that we call the wilderness wanderings. We preached about this for a long time over this, the, the previous year, and so you can, um, might remember some of this stuff. What's interesting about that is as Israel has come to this point and they fail so magnificently and God sends them into the wilderness for 40 years, 40 years of wandering around because of one mistake, one mistake. And we might be inclined to think that God's intention in keeping them in the wilderness for 40 years was punitive, it was punishment. It was just the most epic grounding that has ever been given to any kid ever, right? I mean, it's 40 years of that. But what's interesting, what's interesting is is how if we stopped and thought about the development of those Israelite people, I mean, they lived in Egypt for 400 years. Imagine how affected by their culture they were. I mean, we... I, I grew up here in America, my parents did, and their parents did, and I don't know how far back it goes, but we're at least several generations into being an American and experiencing American language and culture and, and television and music and stories and politics, and how is that stuff not going to kind of get into us and shape us and make us and create maybe the ways that we think And so maybe it's less that God wanted to punish them for 40 years for being such naughty children. And maybe it's that it took 40 years for them to learn a lesson. And that's a hard truth that I want to talk about today. I want to talk about living an unhurried life because what we serve, or who we serve I should say, is an unhurried God. The kind of God who is ready and willing, able and completely happy with allowing people to languish for 40 years until they learn the lesson they need to learn. And there might be no more miserable sermon that I have to preach in my entire life to you than this. I love this line that uh, Moses gives to the people. Thinking back, you remember that Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law, so Moses is old He's passing away, and he's looking back and reflecting on the past 40 years. 
right? So some of you are in that state in life where you've lived long enough that you can look back and say, man, when I was 35, I maybe didn't get it, but I can see now what God was doing all those years. And Moses says this, over those 40 years, it wasn't wasted. It may have felt wasted. Could you imagine being out there and feeling like it was a complete and utter waste of your time? And Moses looks back and he says, no, no, God humbled you and he let you hunger And then he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you known, uh, make you known, he might make you known? I think I did that wrong. That man does not live, might make, make known, that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You might remember Jesus saying that a time or two. He actually said it twice in two separate situations, so perhaps it matters. But if you imagine as an Israelite growing up in Egypt, you would have learned as you watched all of the Egyptians, more numerous than them, right? This, 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 this culture around you, and they're worshiping the sun and they're worshiping the Nile. Why are they worshiping the sun? Why are they worshiping the Nile? Why do they create sun gods and Nile gods? Why? Because the sun brought light and the Nile brought water and the two together made life. And so the Israelites learned to depend upon the sun and upon the Nile. And so what did God do? God removed the Nile and he sent them into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, you have to fight to survive. In the wilderness, there is always a combination of comfort and danger. And danger is always very close. And God brought them willingly into that wilderness that they might experience the danger so that he could meet their needs so that they could learn to trust him. And God knew that it would take them 40 years to learn this lesson. And God had the patience to work and to walk and to move with them. And so my question to you, or my posited point to you today, this morning, is to ask the question, what if this is God's work in your life? What if the thing that you have been waiting for, you have to wait for longer? What if the answer that you've been seeking is not the time to have the answer? What if God understands that it's going to take you 40 years to experience the breaking and the building and the breaking and the building so that when that moment of truth finally falls, when that moment of clarity finally falls, you have prepared yourself and God has prepared you and now you are able to hear it. Because what this text tells me is that we serve a God who is fundamentally unhurried. He is not in a rush to get things done because he understands somehow better than we do that things take time. You might remember that diamonds are made from the most dirtiest pieces of our earth. And it is pressure that compacts in order to make that diamond. But it's also time. It is pressure and it is time. And what I know about myself is I feel lots of pressure, but I'm never willing to give it time. Can I get a witness? (laughs) And when there's pressure and the time goes on a little bit longer, I'm like, okay, that's enough pressure. That's enough time. Let's wrap this up. I'm shiny enough. And God's message to all of us, I think in many ways, is no, you're not. And there does need to be a little more pressure And there probably does need to be a little more time in order to make us into what 
he and he alone can understand we could be. And that means two separate things. One, that we have a God of patience, but secondly, that we ought to be kind of happy with our own understanding of allowing patience with ourselves as well. Because we live in a culture that is built upon extremes, don't we? Travis and I were actually talking about that this week. We were talking about how all of the movies and all of the stories, the stories that we built, they used to, used to sit around campfires, right? And you would tell stories, and the stories would shape your community. Now we all sit at home in front of our televisions, right? And we, but we're still being shaped by community. Everyone else is still watching the same show. We're just not doing it together anymore, right? But we're being shaped in the same way. But all of our stories are kind of this mad rush to that climactic conclusion where the bad guy gets killed after he foolishly told James Bond the entire plot, so he's able to thwart it, right? And then happily ever after. It's so interesting that we don't make movies about happily ever after, do we? We make movies that lead up to happily ever after, and then we roll credits. Why do we roll credits? Because jobs are boring and so are diapers. And that's what happily ever after is. Right? He got the girl. She got the guy. Well, now it's kids and diapers. Right? I mean, like, immediately we come to this point where it's like we're always in the moment. We're always being given this kind of constant injection and infusion of, of new and unique and experience and have it and have it and have it and have it and have it. Change, buy, do this. I mean, it's just this breakneck speed all of the time. And that story is shaping us. It's making us. And what scripture is doing is presenting to us a fundamentally different story than what our culture is telling us. Which means that we are in the very difficult spot of trying to figure out what is going on? I saw, I saw a picture this week of Hillsong Church. Maybe you know Hillsong Church. It's one of the biggest church movements in the world right now. They have massive churches all over the world. There's really fancy ones. One's in London. They had on their marquee, something big is going to happen this fall. And I thought to myself, what big could happen this fall? We, we got salvation covered. Eternal life is kind of taken care of. Sin's done. Devil's defeated. Death is defeated. What big thing are we going to have? Obviously, I'm joking a little bit, but you can understand that impulse, and we all experience it. We all feel it, especially the younger you are. We've experienced more of that than perhaps some of our elders who might be here shaking their heads and saying, oh, I know those kids. Jeez. But let me just say this, that there is something dangerous about being obsessed and infected with the new. That this too can become an idol. And this too is maybe even the idol of our day. And it is something that is very dangerous to us because it is telling us a fundamentally different story. God is trying to slow you. He wants to bring you close to him. Maybe the most intimate moments are those moments where somebody who you haven't seen in a long time holds you close, right? And in those moments, doesn't everything kind of slow down? You want to live in it. Those moments that are most meaningful are the moments not where you want to speed them up, but they're the moments where you want to slow down, aren't they? I wish I could have slowed down. I, just, I don't know why this popped in my brain, but our, our wedding like, just happened like that, right? But if I could have slowed a good mem- a memory like that down, those moments that we live in, we want to slow them down. They're so beautiful, But then we're kind of constantly being thrown into the next thing. My point is just this. The reality of who you are is actually far slower than what the reality of your culture is telling you that you are. The reality of who you are is a slow-moving, embodied being who takes about 90 years to get something right. 
And if that's true, shouldn't we all just give ourselves and each other just a little more grace? Because God is a God who is unhurried. We simply can't keep up novelty here. I mean, Paul can't nail it every week. I'm okay, but Paul can't nail it every... That was a joke. It didn't land. That's okay. But what's interesting, too, is Jesus, isn't it? You know, Jesus, his whole life seems to be marked by this very slow progression through... I mean, our Bibles kind of throw it to us moment after moment. It feels very snappy because it's, it's leaving out long swaths. But basically, the pace of Jesus, wasn't it, was the slowest pace possible. He took a walk between this city and this city, and he invited people, why don't you walk with me? There is nothing more inefficient than a long walk between two cities and a conversation. We call that... Waste of time. How can I get there faster? How can I get there quicker? How can we, like, in all of that? But Jesus, Jesus is moving at this pace that is slower than that. It seems to be a very patient kind of pace, very patient kind of movement. When I think about these things, I, I, I think about how. Uh, I think about how David uh, speaks in Psalm 131. In Psalm 131, David is reflecting uh, what we call, or what becomes anyway, an ascension song. A song of ascent. And sometimes you'll read that in your Bibles. If you're reading the Psalms, it'll come across Psalm whatever number, and it'll say a song of ascent. And what that means is that the people would sing these songs as they were on their way up to Jerusalem to go to the temple... To worship God for whatever reason. Maybe it was a holiday or maybe it was a personal thing. But the songs of ascent were songs they would sing on their way to church, as it were. So this song is a song that's not meant for little children. It's a song that the adults would sing as they marched their way to church. All right? So here's the song. Psalm 131. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Israel hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. I like this a lot. And I want to reflect on this because I think what I see in this is kind of a message that reflects this God of patience and really even a bit of how our own lives are shaped. You notice verse 1 here. Verse 1 is to deal with, 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 with humility in some ways. He says, my heart has not been lifted up. And you might know, and I've talked about this a number of times, that heart is kind of a, a complicated term. It can mean things like emotion. It can mean things like my decision-making, my will. It can mean things like my soul or the inner part of myself. It can mean all of those different things. But what David is saying here is something that's fundamentally non-Western, un-American, right? He says, whatever sort of Whatever you want to sort of say about all of the things I mean when I say heart, whether I'm talking about my will or my emotions or my thoughts or the inner part of myself, whatever it is that is guiding my decision-making, I have not followed my heart. I haven't lifted it up. It has not been the guiding polar star in my life. I haven't looked at it like the North Star and followed it. I have not lifted my heart up. I have kept it low. 
He says, as poets do, the same thing in the next line, only kind of uses a different sort of metaphor. Instead of the heart, instead of the emotions, instead of the will, instead of the inner desires, he says, my eyes, right? My eyes, the eyes are the thing that looks and sees and wants, right? I mean, you know this. If you, if you look up uh, bath mats on Pinterest or whatever people do on Pinterest, immediately the next day you're going to get 15 advertisements and everything you click, bath mats, bath mats, bath mats, right? I mean, the eyes, desire, and everything about my, our culture is trying to get your eyes not only to see, but to want. Have you ever thought about how messed up that is? Like, every time you put a screen in front of your face, the whole reason that screen exists is to make you want the very next bobble. Right? It's not there to help you or educate you. It exists for advertisement. <laughs> now, it does all those other things as well, but just recognize the fact. right? So the eyes are the thing that desire. They're the things that want. They're the things that we're looking up and we're looking out. And we're always trying to grab and grasp. And what does David say? David says, I'm not lifting up my eyes. I'm not looking. I'm not desiring. I'm not seeking. I'm not wanting. I've kept them where they ought to be. And notice, they are also not on the floor. They're not like, oh, shucks, I'm a crabby, terrible person. God could never love me. This isn't a low esteem moment. This is a recognizing the fact that I am human and I have limitations. In fact, that's what he says next. I do not occupy myself. That word occupy means literally I don't walk with. I don't step up and try to walk with things that are too great and marvelous for me. And that, that's a little complicated because you'd have to ask the question, what do I mean by too great or too marvelous? But I just thought... As I was reading this, it suddenly struck me. I had this memory uh, recall moment where I had little Emery with me, sweet little Emery, who could never keep up because she is, I don't know if you ever spent time with my oldest daughter, but she is um, creative, which is a fancy word for saying distracted all the time, right? And so, and so I'd be like, come on, we're going, we're going. And I'd be walking and she'd be like looking at whatever, you know, I'm like, come on, keep up. And I could just hear, all of a sudden, I could just hear in her cute little chipmunk voice, Daddy, I have small legs. (laughs) Right? This is true. You can't keep up. When dad walks, she can't keep up. Right? In the same way, David's saying, like, listen, we have a God. We have a dad. He's really big, and he can take really big steps, and I can try to keep up, but I never will. Like, there are things that are too big for me. I love that Jesus thinks this too, doesn't he? Uh, He's talking, they're asking, Jesus, when are you coming back? When's all this going to happen? When are we going to experience the fullness of your kingdom, the resurrection of the dead, the removal of sin and war and devil and death and poverty and sinfulness? When will we experience it all? And Jesus says, eh? That's literally what he did. You can look it up. He said, I don't know. The angels don't know. The Father knows. Jesus accepts his own limitation in the flesh in this moment, right? In this moment where he's dealing with these people, it's like, I don't know that. I have not tried to walk with. I have accepted my smallness. Because David is fundamentally here describing something big and something small. When he moves next into the next metaphor that I have calmed and quieted my soul. I, you know, these are really, it's actually really tricky. I had to, I had to, where's Mark, where are you at, Mark? Mark and these guys. I had to call my Hebrew guy. Uh, but these are really tricky. But what he says here, when I have calmed, that, that word calmed means something that you take and you set in its place. Right? You set something in its place. 
and quieted. This word quieted means literally silence, but it also has reference to movement. So you remember the old story where Joshua made the sun stand still in the sky? That's the same word, quieted. It's not just about loud noises, it's about movement. If you ever had a kid, you know there's two things that they don't do. It's sit still. (laughs) You can manage maybe one of those. You might get sitting, but moving. You might get stillness, but Emery has not stopped talking since she learned how. So, and I blame you for it. What has David said? He said, like a child, set on a lap and stilled and quieted down. That's my spot. That's my spot. I've looked at the world and I've looked at myself and I've looked at all of this stuff and I see it's frantic and harried and crazy and everybody's worried. And I've said, man, I have no power control over all of this. I'm going to stop grasping for it. I'm going to sit. and I'm going to rest on the lap of God. And God, interestingly here, is not pictured as a father, is he? But the mother. And isn't it interesting that David is not being breastfed, which is a weird thing to talk about, but let's just be weird for a second, right? He's weaned, which is a child that has stepped out onto his own or her own, right? They're no longer attached. They're no longer completely dependent. It's no longer, I don't know how many of you have had infants, but the way that babies work is the parent does all the work. Completely unfair. Then they become toddlers, Right? And what happens when they become toddlers? They become 20% more efficient on a really good day. I'm still doing 80. Well, Laura's still doing 80. <laughs> Can I get a witness, mom? I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Um, and doesn't that just sound like my faith life? Like I'm maybe pulling a solid 10% of the work and God's doing another 90, Right? What does David say? David says, man, I've looked at the world. It's crazy. It's going nuts. He says, but I am going to do this like a weaned child. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to put myself in the lap of God. And I'm going to allow God to begin to grow me. Because a weaned child means that somebody put up with a year at least of sleepless nights. Has God done that for you? Been up all night wondering what's going to happen. Not really, because God knows all things, but just like the metaphor works, right? God's concern for you is like the parent. God's patient with you is like the parent. And we are the ones who are coming to the moment of recognizing the reality of where we are, which leads to this final moment where David says, so what do I do in light of this? I hope, I hope. And hope is fundamentally slow. You build it. All of the, our elders here who can speak to us, younger folks, can say, I've built it. I've grown it. I've shaped it. The Lord has grown it and shaped it in me, that 90-10% thing, right? Again, and they get to speak that truth. And so we who are younger in that spot, we need to recognize this, that our hope is going to take time. But what should we do? We should recognize our spot. We should hope in the Lord from this moment and forevermore. Because we serve a God who is patient, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. 
In fact, God's love is so steadfast that as you continue to betray him, he still comes to you and reaches out to you, right? The fundamental message of the gospel is that God has stepped stepped into the world to reach out to those who love him least. But that means something important, and I hope that all of you were here to, to hear Jim's testimony because man was that powerful. And there is nothing more powerful than a man who says, stands in front of the church and says, listen, I've been mad at God for 10 years because I've been praying for 10 years and God didn't answer my prayer, and now he has. And it took 10 years. And I hope you heard that. Because not a lot of places are going to tell you that. And sometimes our songs even betray that because we sing big songs about big moments and we're kind of constantly like victory in the moment but recognize that sometimes victory takes time. And we have a God that's unhurried and so he is willing to take his time with you. Because fundamentally we would say God is patient which I think might be even more impactful today than to say God is love. Because you all know somebody who has loved you and betrayed you, Right? But God is not just love, God is faithful. And his faithfulness is demonstrated, his love is demonstrated in his patience with us. I love that, and I think that's why Paul said this. He says in Philippians 1, 6, I am certain, I'm sure, I'm positive that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God has started working in you guys. I know that maybe you've hit a rough patch. Maybe you've hit a doubt patch. Maybe you've, I don't know what you've hit. Whatever it is that you've hit, that bump in the road that makes you think, man, where is God? Or man, this is too big for me. Or man, like what happened? Paul is saying, listen, God is patient and life is long and you've got to give it time if you want to become a diamond. And I know this. I know that it's hard. But let me tell you, God is not done. He is continuing to work in you. He won't let it end. He's going to keep working on it. Because God is patient with you. But let me say this then. As I deal with Christians who I sense and see heaping guilt and shame upon themselves while we are supposed to be people who don't have guilt and shame anymore because Jesus took it away in the cross, you need to have this. You need to have permission to be in progress. If God is patient and he is determined that it's going to take 100 years to make you into who he wants to be, Give yourself a little leeway. I love that. And I think that's why Paul says, Philippians 1.6, yet again, I'm sure this, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, but when? At the day of Jesus Christ. If you look around this room and you say, man, these guys are not as perfect as they ought to be, well, that's okay, right? They're supposed to be on the day of Jesus Christ. Like we, are, we have to come to a place where we understand grace for ourselves and for one another. And if we can't begin to have that patience, we will never begin to grow because we'll begin to cut and bite and gossip and dig each other underneath. And you'll either do that to yourself internally by yourself or you'll do it to each other and our church will die. Right? Either way, we need to recognize God is patient and so we need to be too. God is love and so we need to be too. God is faithful And so we need to be too, sometimes even for ourselves, and sometimes for others, right? Because that that would be what I would say next. If that's true, if it is a long view that God has taken to growing Jordan or Gina or John or anyone else in here, God has decided he's going to invest in me for the long haul. I have to recognize God's patience. I need to recognize that patience within me, but I have to I have to turn that out. 
It has to go out to other people where you are willing to be patient with others. And let me tell you what, that looks most like grace. That looks like mercy. That looks like you don't shake your head and say, that person's an idiot and walk away from them. Or tell them an idiot and then walk away from them. But rather, you recognize they're in process too. And maybe you are the person that God has put in their life to begin to help that process move along. Maybe you're the next step, the next leg in that race, in that journey for that person. But we have to begin to have this, right? We have to begin to accept this fact of God's great mercy and grace, recognizing that it's going to take a long period of time and to not put pressure to change in the moment all the time immediately, but to recognize that God has got a long view for your life. A long view for my life. He's taken a very long view for my life. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, and I'll end here, is uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. And this is Paul speaking, and he says, I want to kind of give you something you could kind of memorize. It's kind of easy to, to hear. It's very, it's very punchy. But I think it's very beautiful. He says, this saying is trustworthy. If we have died with Jesus, we will live with Jesus. If we endure with Jesus, we will reign with Jesus. If we deny Jesus, he will deny us. And this is the line that I think is so interesting. Hear it. If we are faithless to Jesus, he remains faithful. For even in the moment when we are unfaithful to God, he still cannot deny himself. As we come to conclusion this morning, I want to encourage you to put this into your brain. Mull it over and think about it. Think about how patient God has been with you and how God has worked with you and how God has loved you. Think about how much more love and patience God has. As I look at my life and I think, this has been a big year for me, lots of change in me personally. And I look back and I think, wow, man, I love all of that. It's so painful, but I love it. It's done so much for me. And I think, man, in 40 years, I'll be so much better. Like every step of the road, God has a new journey, a new revelation. Imagine if when you came to Jesus, he showed you in an instant all that was messed up about you. Oh, man, you'd be crushed. You'd be crushed under the weight of your sin. You'd be crushed by it. Or if God revealed to you all the things in the moment of your conversion he was going to change about you, you'd say, you wouldn't even recognize yourself. You'd be like, I, I can't handle that, I'm out. But no, God stepped in and he showed you just enough grace that you could take that first step. But that first step is such a joy because it recognizes that every step along the way God has more to reveal and to change in you. And if, you, if that's true, then don't we just have to have so much love for God and so much patience with ourselves and then so much patience with the other people who are on the journey with us, making the mistakes that we made way back then. Can't we be patient with them and love them and reach forward and backward and embrace it all? Because God moves at the speed of love. And the speed of love is fundamentally unhurried. Let's stand and sing a song to our God who has such immense patience.